All right, this is InfoSec Decoded number 71 with WorldCoin, the orb. But we're starting with Caitlin, who has Raspberry Pis. Right, so the Raspberry Pi, uh, known for being sort of the, the computer everyone has two or three of. Uh, it is cheap, and it's perfect for those applications where you don't need much computing power. You just need a computer, for example. Uh, checking the weather, you know, and displaying it, you know, little IoT type stuff. Anyway. Just a hundred so times what it took to fly to the moon. Oh, oh yeah, totally. It, it totally has more processing power than anything we had in like the 1980s or 1990s. Yeah. Um, anyway, now we just take it for granted. It's a cheap little thing you can, you, you, you buy two or three of, and some of, some of them you don't even use, whatever, not a big deal. Anyway, um, so the uh, website Vice has an article written by Emmanuel uh, Malberg talking about how the current chip shortage is affecting Raspberry Pi prices. Um, and this is really shocking uh, because Raspberry Pi said it was, um, you know, it, it, it's designed to be the sort of cheapest computing module you can buy. You can get it for between $35 to $45. And um, now, unfortunately, it's going up to about a uh, 45 to like $55, you know, dollar uh, computer. So it's getting, everything's being affected by the current uh, economic crisis. Um, nothing is in the end. The supply chain, yeah. So this is clearly Biden's fault. Uh, as much as the president controls the the um, the supply chain, uh, I mean, really though, Congress and the uh, president uh, should have been looking at possible supply chain issues years ago. Yeah, uh, back back in Obama's day, back maybe even all the way back to Clinton. I mean, this. If you have a supply and demand just-in-time system, which we have, so basically we produce items, we don't stockpile them, and we get them to the destination as soon as they're as soon as they are asked for. Mm -hmm. So we have no extras, nothing to buffer. Uh, this seems like it would be pretty obvious to to predict that there would be some sort of interruption that would topple everything, right? Because there's no way to recover from, say, a warehouse that makes important chips burning down, right? Yep, Which yep. is exactly what happened. Uh, there are certain, uh, certain producers of things like audio chips, uh, where you, you can only get one, only one producer in the entire world, like, world makes these chips. And that during the pandemic, the place where those chips are made, burn down. So if you go online and you, and you try to find very specific equipment that uses these audio chips, particularly, or audio components, I should say, particularly particularly things like ham radios, you're gonna have a very bad time. Um, <laughs> you, you just can't buy it right now. And that's essentially what's happening is that it's not just COVID-19, you have a confluence of factors, um, more so than even I know off the top of my head, uh, coming together and essentially causing this the chip shortage that ripples all the way down into every sector. And as we see, even the humble Raspberry Pi is not immune. So. Okay. So to summarize, it's Biden's fault. 
yeah. I mean, we, we really should have been looking at this years ago. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious, like I said, that this, this was going to happen eventually. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. And Alan has algorithmic amplification on Twitter. Yes. Twitter has uh, just released a study, an internally conducted study. Ooh, that got Facebook in a lot of trouble releasing those things. Well, Facebook didn't release them. That's what got them in trouble. They well, did the studies internally. The conclusions were inconvenient, and then they tried to cover them up. Oh, okay. Uh, Twitter is trying to position itself as the good social media company. Well, they probably are good compared to Facebook. I, I think so, actually. Um, and this is just evidence of it right here, because this study looked at the um, feeds, the, the home timelines mm -hmm. that uh, Twitter users are seeing. And they looked at the political content that people are seeing in their home timelines. And mind you, these home timelines are uh, algorithmically generated for each user by Twitter. And the, the home timeline will show the top tweets from people you follow, but will also recommend content from uh, accounts that you don't necessarily follow. Mm -hmm. And what Twitter found was that for whatever reason, that home timeline is displaying tweets from conservative sources more often than from moderate or liberal sources. Mm -hmm. And so the Twitter, in other words, is amplifying conservative political content tweets more so than liberal or moderate political content, which is a big deal. And the interesting thing about this study was that it did not attempt to uh, examine or explain why, it's simply determining ground facts. Um, simply determining that there is, in fact, a bias in the algorithms there. Well, just what I was waiting for was to hear why, because it's an interesting issue. It is a very interesting issue. Although the, it's, what's so perplexing to me is that apparently Twitter doesn't even understand how it works. Well, this thing that they've created themselves is something of a mystery to them. Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that right, far right wing stuff creates more buzz, which is the whole point. It gets people excited. It gets repeated more people, you know, so if you just had some kind of AI like thing, what do people appear to want? They appear to want like extreme stuff that makes them angry. That's what gets more retweets and moves around faster, right? Apparently so. I wonder about the political views of uh, Twitter users, though. You know, are a majority of them liberal, moderate, conservative, ultra-conservative, et cetera? Well, what it, are the political views of the average Twitter user? Yeah, well, I don't know. But if, for example, the average Twitter user is a liberal, probably the thing they are most likely to retweet is some outrageous right-wing thing. So I can see how uh, it would... Have the if you just tried to make people see what they appear to like the most, you could end up feeding them stuff that makes them angry. <laughs> this is true. People don't necessarily like only things that they actually agree with. No, and they very much like complaining about stuff. That's why I remember there was a lot of people that said that um, a lot of what Trump did, you could say, was just to irritate the liberals and watch them go nuts. 
rather than this is part of the owning the libs. Yeah. Well, um, the study didn't only look at uh, Americans, though, uh, and American politicians. Um, the study looked at uh, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, Spain, United Kingdom, and the US. Yeah. And uh, in all cases except Germany, the uh, conservative political content was amplified more. But Germany was the exception, interestingly. Oh. Germany, the, it was more of an even split. Hmm. Okay, well, I hope, I hope they do more studies and find out what's happening. Yes, that's what they're going to be doing next. Yeah, okay. All right, and I've got the Our Evil Gang. You know, the U.S. government, U.S. military has decided to protect us from um, ransomware, which is what Biden said he would do. I just assumed he was lying. But when we the colonial pipeline got hacked, Biden met with Putin, and he said, I told him, if you don't shut these guys down, we're going to do it with cyber attacks. And Putin didn't do anything. And so that's what we did, although apparently it was one of our partners that did this. But they hacked our evil, wiped them out, stole their money, um, and so on. So we are our, our offensive cyber gang apparently have been held back by the ransomware not being considered a serious enough crime. So what Biden did was he elevated ransomware to the political status of terrorism. And that unleashed the offensive cyber arm to hack these guys and steal their stuff. And that's what we're doing, which I think is great because obviously our our individual companies, individual users are unable to mount sufficient defenses against ransomware. So it is like international terrorism. It is appropriate for our military to protect us by clobbering those guys back in their home countries. And that appears to be what's happening. So they hacked them and they poisoned their backups. So when they restored from backups, they were just restoring the malware from us and hacked them some more. So it's good I've to been see. Seeing posts purportedly from the um the hackers uh on uh hacking forums and mm. they it's quite pitiful they're complaining about oh we can't access our servers and it looks like the infrastructure is down and now uh we're going to disappear yeah well i i think that's quite appropriate yeah, well they're doing the smart thing yeah that's good to see all right and so Caitlin has recycled batteries. Right. Uh, so uh, car batteries are, or an electric vehicles, I should say, are the next hotness to save the earth. Unfortunately, the batteries themselves require basically strip mining the top layer of the earth and getting all these materials that can be difficult and dangerous to mine. And then when you're done with the batteries, and the batteries have a finite lifespan, mind you, they don't last forever. Typically, you throw them away and they become hazardous waste. Uh, wouldn't it be great instead to recycle batteries? Well, the thing is, if you're running a car, you need your batteries to be at their top um, because you do not want to have the, yourself be stuck two miles short of your destination because you used a recycled battery instead of a brand new battery. Well, I have good news. Uh, the IEEE Spectrum has an article uh, written by... Um, Prachi Patel, uh, talking about how these new lithium ion recycled batteries are not only as good as the, the new, you know, entirely new batteries, some of them are even slightly better, uh, which means that our battery technology is, is improving uh, through recycling, which is great. Uh, so the way this works 
is that the recyclers take the old EV batteries um, and they basically only use the cathode. Uh, so for people at home that don't know battery terms, uh, the cathode is sort of the negative end of the of the battery. So if you have like a uh, a AA battery, the thing with the button at the, at the top that's the anode, and the thing at the bottom where it's flat uh, that's that's the cathode. And um, electrons flow from the cathode uh, to the anode. Anyway, uh, so they found that they can recycle this cathode. Uh, and it works absolutely fantastically. And the reason why they, they want to do the cathode is because the cathode in particular uses things like nickel, manganese, and cobalt, um, which are specifically crafted you know, to make the cathode as effective as possible. They weren't sure if it was possible to, uh, to essentially create the level of recycling that they ended up with, but it turns out they can and they will. And this looks like it's going to be the future batteries instead of throwing your, your old EV battery, your old lithium ion batteries into the e-waste pile, it can now be largely recycled, which is great. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. All right. And Alan's got Amazon. Amazon is now the number three shipper of parcels in the U.S. This Amazon's truly a vertically integrated company now. And they are bigger than FedEx in terms of number of parcels shipped or the market share of US parcels and by a decent margin too. And they're coming up on UPS. Yeah, it looks like in a about a year, to they're gonna be number two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it looks like now it won't be long before they're second only to the US Postal Service. And DeJoy is torpedoing the Postal Service rapidly so they might feed them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's since the uh, since uh, DeJoy seems to be interested in gutting the USPS, um, I think he is a big stake owner in one of the competitors. Well, yes, but it's a smaller player. Yeah, well, it's a small player, and so he wouldn't benefit all that much. I'm sure, sure he, he's impoverished enough that. Uh, a few million dollars in his pocket would be a big deal to him. Well, he gave but... a million dollars to Trump, which is how he got the job. Ah, that's right. So anyway, and he says he's just making it more efficient, sort of like the city college system. Fire everybody to save money is one that's way right. to make the company efficient. The ultimate efficiency is non-existence. Well, in a in dividing by zero in a grand sense. Anyway, anyway, so I did, I saw Amazon do this. And I must say, I thought it was a very sensible business move when you are outsourcing and, and the thing you're outsourcing gets large enough, it's better to just make your own brand. And these Amazon delivery trucks are everywhere now. They are, but it's not the delivery trucks. We're talking about the freights, the, the freight shipping. So we're oh, talking about warehouses. the semis, semi trucks. Oh, to warehouses. Oh, okay. I was also yes. speaking to the customer delivery. Yeah. And so they actually have their own platform, their uh, truckload freight platform. Um, which you can go to, it's freight.amazon.com. Mm. And you can get a quote on how much it costs to ship a whole uh, uh, 53 foot tractor trailer from SF to LA, for example. Oh, so how long before I can just take a package to Amazon to have it shipped? Well, that day may be coming up. I would think so. That would be the next logical solution. That's what they yeah. did with AWS. 
I mean, they had the servers and they said, well, let's rent out some of these servers. Yeah, if they're, they're already doing the deliveries. They could just do the pickup at the same time. They totally could. I would love it. It'd be just like Bugs Bunny. He would just go out and buy something for or the, the, the coyote would just buy things from Acme by sticking the thing in a box and poof, the dynamite would appear. So anyway, all right. And so uh, this, I, I thought is bloody awesome. This thing launched yesterday, the silver orb for world coin, which works like this. You are, if you are a visionary entrepreneur, you get one of these and you place it in a place and people come up and gaze into the orb and it takes a photograph of their iris, registering them with the grand new service, adding them to WorldCoin and they get WorldCoin, they get paid for this. And what exactly what else it accomplishes has not yet been specified, but you can be an entrepreneur and run one of these and people are driving them to all the rural villages in Chile and getting everybody to sign up. And they wanna have 1 billion people signed up within a year and this is apparently a billion dollar company to get everybody enrolled in this iris database. Um, and they promise that they maintain your privacy, really. And uh, somehow this will save the whole world. Uh, details not specified, which I find is true of every cryptocurrency project. We will create a blockchain and world peace will emerge. But this one is funded and off there growing. So you could probably get an orb right now and start enrolling your friends and thus save the world somehow. So everyone should jump on that. And uh, then Caitlin has uh, deplatforming. Right. Uh, so I know a lot of people in recent years as mainstream American culture has become a little bit radicalized conservatively. Um, I think so. a, a, little, a little bit. Um, kind of, I mean, we, we had a president who will not be named who sort of went on Twitter, on, went on rants and stuff. Anyway, so uh, that president, uh, who should not be named, um, got deplatformed. Yeah. And this was kind of controversial because on the one hand, it's the president. And I think the president, regardless of their, um, their background, their personalities, deserves a certain amount of respect and a certain amount of leeway <laughs> just because they are such an important person. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Twitter said, you know, this is enough. This is our private platform. If we want to deplatform you, we can deplatform you. So fair enough. Okay. Uh, now the, what I want to know was, was this a good idea? Like does, is this effective at, at maintaining a clean platform for Twitter um, or any, any social media platform? Well, uh, a group of, of researchers, uh, Shuang uh, Yeaver, uh, Christian uh, Boylston, uh, Dewey Yang, and Amy uh, Bruckman uh, did some scientific studies. And by scientific studies, I mean, you know, they sort of did their best to quantify what is toxicity online in online spaces. And they collected a bunch of tweets and they looked at platformed and deplatformed um, uh, controversial figures. Um, and they came to the conclusion in this paper uh, that was just published uh, that, yes, actually, deplatforming really does work. It does detoxify platforms. Um, so let me read their, their entire conclusion, because um, it's just one paragraph. Um, in this paper, uh, we examined the long-term consequences of deplatforming three offensive influencers. And that was, I think, Milo Yiannopoulos, 
uh, who else was it? Um, Alex Jones. Uh, Alex Jones and Owen Benjamin, right? Uh, so those were the three they specifically looked at. Um, our results show that this approach minimized the impact of influencers and their ideas, as well as modulated the offensive discourse, discourse, yes, discourse of their many supporters. We conclude that when used judiciously, deplatforming can be an effective strategy to help detoxify social media. Going forward, additional research is needed to identify the appropriate thresholds for deplatforming and examine the interaction between online speech, deplatforming, and radicalization. So it's turning out scientifically the the act of kicking people off social media is helpful, and so that's that's good to know. So what we need to do is go back to like the '60s with the comic book code and uh, you know censorship and everything. Well, that is. You know, I, I would I would imagine that for large platforms like Twitter, like Facebook, that's sort of like for everybody. Maybe, I mean, you the 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 people that wrote the paper obviously are, you know, put in, as I read in the last paragraph, saying we we need to figure out that line where where we start deplatforming people scientifically. Yeah. I imagine we're not going to get back to the comic book code, but it's going to be far more strict than say a site that someone puts up specifically for someone like that's a, like a white nationalist, for example. Like if you wanna have a social media site for white nationalists, just for white nationalists, and people know what they're getting into. Yeah, that would be Fox News. I, I'm not gonna say anything, but um, but as long as people know what they're getting into and, and it's clear that this site is for radicalized views, whatever. But if you're gonna have a site like Twitter, that's sort of for everyone, it has a section just for kids, you know, to, to do Minecraft tweets and stuff like that, then you need to, and yeah, you need to maybe think about what you're gonna deplatform, right? And really make it clear to the users, like this is allowed and this is not allowed. And that's how you maintain a apparently non-toxic or less toxic platform. Yes, but I mean, the Facebook stuff that came out made clear the problem here. They have rules, but they discovered that all the money comes from like the 100 most incendiary accounts that break all the rules. So they give them an exception because they make all the buzz. What you'll have is sort of a more bland, boring news site if you don't let people say these terrible things. And, you know, and maybe that's exactly what we need, I, especially in our cable and TV news, where people are incised all the time about all these terrible things that are happening. But of course, most of the terrible things that are happening are exaggerated, designed specifically to, to dredge up, you know, anger and get people voting, you know, for the people that are funding the, <laughs> the channel and stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. You, you wanna make the world more boring. I can get behind that. I just don't think it'll be popular. It won't make money. And that's part of the problem is that we have news, which is really an important part of our democracy. Mm -hmm. being tied to personal profit yeah which I, there's a conflict of interest there that really needs to be cut cut loose um so if, if you want to if you want to get some news i recommend find the most boring news sources possible they're likely not going to be the ones lying to you pbs uh, yeah just go, it's like pbs put yourself it's if you have trouble sleeping just put on pbs don't watch msnbc or fox news or okay. cnn just pbs <laughs> Well, you know, I, I when I got to be about 40, I said, you know, I've decided being boring is a virtue. All that excitement comes from doing stupid stuff you shouldn't be doing anyway. So I became boring and I'm happy with it. But anyway. I mean, the, the big problem, of course, is that it's radicalizing our 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 citizens and especially, you know, our grandmas and grandpas who oh, yeah, spend time at home a lot. 
yeah, have the, the TV on. Yeah. Yeah, they're the most vulnerable, which I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. Yeah. So the people that kept warning warning us as kids that media is going to rot your brain and turn yeah. you into these foul creatures are having their brains rotten and turned into foul creatures by media. So they are, in <laughs> fact. You're right. <laughs> there's there's just something wrong with that. Anyway, so Alan's got these people that tricked researchers into doing crime. Now, do you believe this? It seems to be legit. Um, a company, or I shouldn't say a company, it's, a, it's an APT, APT7, or FIN7, which is an APT that's financially motivated and appears to be uh, originating in, in uh, Russia, uh, has set up a company, a fake cybersecurity company, called Bastion Secure, which is not a bad name actually for a cybersecurity company. Oh. And they've got their own website. And um, I have not gone to this website, but screenshots of it look like a, you know, a decent website, not bad. And they are actively hiring people um, to work as penetration testers, quote unquote. <laughs> wow. and, which is all fine and dandy, except for the fact that uh, the clients, quote unquote, of this penetration testing service uh, never actually signed up for the service. And um, when the penetration testers succeed in breaching the client's systems, the uh, breach quickly turns into a, a, a very big problem for the clients. So, uh, it's a very clever scheme, I have to say. This is the first time I've heard of it. Although Fin7's been around for several years, apparently, and this is not the first time they've tried such a, such a, a gimmick to recruit. Um, they have done this before. And the motivations for them for doing so are actually very clear because as it turns out, it's much cheaper to hire a penetration, a legitimate penetration tester in, in Russia than it is to uh, hire uh, hackers. So oh, they true, win yeah. in a couple of ways. They win by saving money and by appearing legitimate and by uh, drawing on a larger talent pool, potentially. Oh, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> so you got to watch out for those internships. Uh, apparently so. Anyway, I was amazed by this. Pfizer has announced how effective vaccine boosters are, and they are incredibly effective. They took a trial of people that were already vaccinated with two doses, and then they gave them either a Pfizer booster or a placebo. And the people that got the placebo, like 100 of them got COVID, and the people that got the booster, only five of them got COVID. So it is 95% relative effectiveness. It takes your already low chance of getting COVID and divides it by another 20 so they're really not messing around with those boosters. And I recommend everybody get one. I got one and it looks like it was the right move. And I don't know why we're using J&J &J at all. J&J &J seems to be very weak and even the boost doesn't do much for it. They say to J&J, &J, best thing to do is add a Pfizer on top of it or Moderna. So, and people that can should get a booster. And uh, I know people that are saying, well, the government hasn't quite approved it yet. And I highly encourage you to ignore the stupid government and lie and get a booster, but anyway. Um, when I hear about the deliberations at the FDA and the CDC, I'm not very impressed. I think very many of us are not. Uh, but the raw data seems quite impressive. Anyway, 
So I thought that was good. And uh, that's it for this one. It being Friday, we'll be back on Tuesday. Farewell.